Welcome to another episode of Founders Jam. We feature incredible stories of founders building world-class startups in the fastest growing markets. Booking a hotel is super easy. This doesn't exist at all in real estate. Insurance will not make us a lot of money, but it's a key value proposition for our current potential tenants and actually the owners. I'm Shan Ko, broadcasting from Singapore. Mario from Property Scout in Thailand, and they just announced a new fresh round of fundraising, which of course we were really excited to participate in. But first of all, I want to let Mario introduce himself a little bit. So Mario, tell our listeners, who are you? Where'd you come from? And how did you end up founding a company in Thailand? All right, cool. Thank you, Xian. Okay, that's a little bit broad. So I'm Mario. This is basically my, my second startup. So before this, I built an online travel agency uh, called Hotel Quickly with four other co-founders in uh, Thailand already. So that's a reason why we're already in Thailand. And the reason I actually moved to Thailand is, so I'm, I'm Swiss. Uh, I did their investment banking and private equity back in Switzerland. And uh, one of my good friends from the universities actually started Food Panda in Thailand. And so he knew how good Thailand is to live and build a business. And that's basically when he called me up and said, hey, I have this opportunity. Do you want to join? That's the moment I was like, oh, of course, because it's a huge market. I wanted, I actually was looking into um, starting my own company back in Switzerland. But when this opportunity came up, like the markets are so massively bigger, you grow, the growth is much bigger than in Switzerland, of course. So that's when I jumped on on board to build Hotel Quickly with him and three other co-founders to build this in Thailand and across Southeast Asia. Awesome. You know, I think that might be something that is surprising to our listeners, right? You might think of Thailand for their delicious food, their beautiful beaches, backpacking, laid back lifestyle. But I don't know if people necessarily think of Thailand as number one on their list of places to start a company. And so maybe you can share a little bit about what makes Thailand such a great place to be launching an entrepreneurial venture? So nowadays, when you bring people to Thailand, right, it's actually a very easy country to bring people to. Uh, it's relatively cheap to be in Thailand. So your cost of, of your whole organization is, is much, much lower. Right? You can very easily recruit people from Europe, the US. They love to come here for the good weather, uh, for the lifestyle. And they are really good. You also have uh, top talent here in Thailand. And then you can across can convince um, people to move to Thailand, which means our costs are very low and people enjoy it. So these are very good reasons. Then if you talk about, depending how you look at uh, Southeast Asia, but it's very easy to reach anywhere in Southeast Asia from Thailand. So Singapore is a quick flight. Vietnam is a quick flight, etc. So it's a quite, very good hub as well uh, if you need to go anywhere in Southeast Asia. Awesome. And I bet most people don't know that Thailand is actually like 70 million people big. So from a domestic market perspective as well, it's probably a lot larger than you might imagine it if you haven't spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia. Correct. And so you had your previous startup um, in the travel space. What made you want to get into real estate? So uh, basically in booking a hotel is super easy, right? When you go to an online travel agency, you see almost everything that's available in the market, right? It's available, so you can click and book right away. You can read reviews about the hotel, and you know it's intermediated by a trusted travel agency. So it's 
super easy nowadays. And it wasn't like that before the online travel agency developed, right? So I was thinking, why is real estate, why is it so difficult in real estate? This doesn't exist at all in real estate. And can we solve it? Can we build a platform where you see almost all properties that you can either buy or rent right, for long term? What you see is actually available. And this is currently the big problem in the market. And what do you see? Currently, normally you see just a few pictures, but can you have very good pictures, maybe a video, maybe a 3D virtual tour? So you can make a lot of your decision-making online. So you really get a good feeling what kind of a property it is. Maybe also have reviews about the neighborhood, about the building. So you can make a very good decision online already. And then you can just instantly book a viewing because it's a, it's a very big ticket size. So you almost everyone wants to go and view it first before they rent for a year or they buy a property. But if you can do most of that work actually online, that is a, a very big help because it helps you basically to, to easier find the best property in the market at the best price. Right? And right now, this is not the case. Right now, you're more like trying to find uh, the needle in the hay. So this is what we're trying to solve, basically build kind of an online travel, so it's not travel, an online real estate agency. <laughs> Founders Jam is proudly brought to you by Hustle Fund. Hustle Fund is a global pre-seed venture capital fund that invests in early stage startups. We believe that great founders can come from anywhere and look like anyone. We're always looking for founders in their earliest stages, building incredible ventures that solve difficult problems. Tell us about what you're building on www.hustlefund.vc. And so, you know, you'd already had experience sort of on the travel side and, you know, you're asking yourself this question, like, why isn't this easier? Let's go attack real estate. What were some assumptions that you had going in before you started? And, you know, if you kind of reflect back on the last couple of years, how have those assumptions played out? So we were assuming that, so we go into the market where we have, or there's at least the least competition, right? And we expand from there. Lease competition, you basically have in a midterm rental in Bangkok. Almost no agencies are doing that. So we were like, okay, let's go in and solve that problem. It is a big problem in the market, but uh, in the meantime, we know also why. And the pain point is on the supply. It's very difficult to get the supply for less than six month rentals. And if you go below one month, it's actually legal. But that we knew from the start. But we, we hope to get the inventory one to six months rental easily. And this was quite a challenge to get that inventory and then really bring the return to the owners. And then COVID hit. So there were no, nobody coming in for one to five months, uh, six month rentals anyway. So we accelerated our development into long-term rental. It was always our plan to go into long-term rental, thereafter going buy and sell, and we have more adjacent business opportunities in front of us, but we just needed to accelerate that. And we might in the future do midterm rental again, let's say when we probably really can guarantee to the owner a certain return. And right now, if you're not the dominant platform, it is very difficult to, to guarantee that return. But once we are the dominant platform, it's possible, potentially doable again. And especially when you look now with this work from anywhere, we believe actually there 
would be a lot of demand coming from people in Europe, the US, Australia, they have a lot of work from anywhere. They can come to Thailand for half a year, three months, whatever, and rent. So demand is definitely there. The, the problem is more on the supply side. Got it. So, I mean, I think COVID is definitely something that's been on people's minds over the last couple of years. And that was, I think, a real test for a lot of founders, um, you know, dealing with this. I mean, global pandemic is not in anyone's business plan, right? So when that, all of that was happening, what were you thinking? What was going through your mind? What were kind of like the key decisions that you were faced with in that moment? And, and how did you think through those? So, okay. I mean, the business we were in, midterm rental was, was dead from the start point, right? So we were just like looking forward to the next one, which is long-term rental. And we started immediately executing on that. Um, we just took the opportunity to let go of the team members that were not performing. So we were just, okay, good reason. So cut a little bit cost, but we were at that moment very small anyway. So we didn't have much to burn. And what were we thinking? Well, hoping that the pandemic goes by faster or very fast. So we have enough runway and uh, to build traction. So we were actually able to build very strong traction during COVID. But it's, I assume, because we were very small at that moment. And we're still very small. So still we can just take market share from other people. Right? But it will be completely different when we can get out of the COVID. Right? If we have taking market share from others, plus the market returning, then it will be even faster acceleration. So at that moment, just conserve cash, grow, and, and speed up into the next adjacent business, yeah. And has COVID changed the way you work in more permanent ways? Does it change the sort of how you organize yourselves, how you guys collaborate? Just curious if it's had any sort of more permanent impact other than accelerating the roadmap. I wouldn't really say so, honestly. We were already then working online. We were already using at that moment all these online tools. So it's kind of the same. We set it a little bit up that people can work from anywhere, which is doable. And let's say we didn't plan to do that before, but it's it's very easy to do now. Um, we could certain positions going more and more actually to become work from anywhere. You can just set KPIs very easily and track them, whether they're in the office or outside, actually doesn't really matter. What really helps to be in the office is more with the management to better communicate uh, certain strategic decisions or come up with strategic decisions. Right? But no else staff that just executes on certain tasks can easily be in the office outside, doesn't matter. Got it. And so maybe let's turn to the product a little bit. This is a technology enabled realtor platform. And it's interesting because I think often people think of technology as getting rid of humans. And for you, humans are actually a really central part of the customer experience. Maybe talk a little bit about like why you made that choice. Like why not just automate them out, take that margin? Well, very simple because it's a very big ticket size, right? If you buy a house for a million dollar, I'm not sure how many people will do that just online. So the bigger the ticket size is generally, the more experts you involve, human experts to help you. So, and I feel uh, real estate is one of those. When you buy a property, but also when you rent 12 months rental, it's a relatively big ticket size as well. 
So the human is very important to guide your decision, help you and support you as well, right? It's not just about the advice. You can put advice on a website and that people can read, but it's uh, the human interaction that is very important to rent long-term or sell a property. It's kind of an interesting choice, right? Because I think there's some things where you're like, oh, I never want to deal with a human again. Like you said, like buying a plane ticket, right? Mm-hmm. At this point, you asked me to talk to a human instead of just buying online. I would be like, no, <laughs> I don't want to spend 30 minutes talking to a person. But I think your point is taken is well taken that you know if I'm doing something like buying a million dollar house or a $500,000 house, I actually want to be able to talk through it with someone and I want to be able to sort of have a discussion because it's not sort of a commodity item, right? It's not just a purely price-driven decision. And so where does the technology come in? Where, where are you using software to make these people more efficient? So I think the starting point, the first thing we're doing is we use technology to acquire almost all inventory in the market. So this would be, we try to facilitate to get owner listings in directly, or we connect with as many real estate agencies in the market as possible. And with that, we have currently about 135,000 listings on our platform. And I think this is definitely something the customers are surprised about. How can we as a real estate agency have that many listings? Because the standard is a real estate agent goes out, talks to a few owners, gets their listings and advertises with that. That's it, right? But we with technology can collaborate with almost all of the real estate agencies in the market. And with that, we get actually access to almost all the inventory in the market. And and that's basically the, the starting point of the tech platform. Because I mentioned before, right, you need to have almost all inventory in the market. That's the same as in in, in travel. You go to a site where you believe you have all inventory. And then the next one would be making sure that they're actually available. Yes, you can. Uh, Normal real estate agencies, they, they call up the owner once a month, whatever. But you can automate many of those things with different channels. Then having good images Again, if you're a a real estate agent and you go out and take a nice picture yourself, that is great, but you have very little properties. How can you do that at scale? And you can only do it at scale if you work with all of the agents in the market. Then I think the next steps in terms of technology are, so we have 135,000 listings in our database and we have very good agents, but I don't believe they know all of those 135,000. Uh, thousand listings and the client comes in how do they really know what to suggest to that client so there we basically build personalized recommendation engine which looks at what is the client looking at online how many times is he spending on this listing how many minutes is he spending on this listing etc and get also information like which nationality are they looking for pet friendly etc um And then you can also see from the listings that they look at, we can show listings that look similar. And all of this, that's basically an AI engine behind it that can propose the best listing for the client. And that's a big help for for both, for the agent, because for them it's really difficult to do, and for the, the clients, because also for them it's really difficult to find the most suitable property within 135,000 properties. How do you ensure the data quality of what you're ingesting into the AI engine? 
because I assume the quality of the recommendation relies on having high quality data put into it. Correct, correct. So depends on the stage. So right now we have actually uh, human intelligence managing that. So we got a team that checks all of the properties that come online, but we're also collecting data, how they decide. And then afterwards we can have an AI engine actually do that work. That's currently what we're doing. In the future, we will also ask the agents that go out every single day, right, our, our partners, to add more information to our database. Right now, we're collecting the data that generally is collected in the market. But I was also talking about what would be great to have a video walkthrough of a property. A few agents are actually doing that in the market, but you know, if we ask all the agents that we work with to collect that information for us, then we can bring in more and more good content to basically help the, the client to find things online much, much faster. Yeah, I think in the US, Redfin has a Matterport integration. And so they have all of these kind of 3D walkers um, that are actually pretty, well, first of all, you don't have that crazy like fisheye lens effect where you take a small closet and it looks huge but you can also kind of walk through it so you can get really a nice sense of the space uh, without actually being physically there. I do like the videos so almost a little bit better than the, the 3D walkthrough because it gives you a little bit better understanding of the property, in my opinion. Yeah, I think both are great, actually, hmm. especially with COVID when it's much harder to do viewings. Um, and so I guess maybe the million dollar question, how do you make money? Sounds great. I get to see listings, <laughs> I get all this data, but at the end of the day, this is a business. So how do you make money today? And then as you think about your roadmap and, and what exciting things you've got there, what are sort of future opportunities to extend the business as well? So the, the number one is commission. So we get commission from the owner. And if we collaborate with another agent in the market, then we just split commission currently is 50-50. That's how we earn the money. How we are going to extend. So one thing is geographic expansion. And the other is expanding service-wise, right? So the next one would be actually FinTech. So if you look into mortgage or bridge loans or rent-to-own, rent to this is a topic that we can look at. Um, there is additional money there to be made, so that is interesting, but also it is a very good value add for our buyers because actually most money is in the real estate transaction in the commission. Another part is uh, insurance. So... What we're looking into is, is to get uh, zero deposit insurance or something similar around it, because nowadays the, um, the renter or, or the, the potential tenant needs to pay two months security deposit to the owner's bank account. And the owner now controls that. So if there's any disagreement, it's rather difficult to, to get back the right amount of, of security deposit, let's say that. Uh, so there's certain issues on, on the uh, potential tenant side. But then also the owners are actually also have an issue because they get two months of security deposit. But what if there's more damage? Then they lose money as well. So we're looking into a product there that could be very, very unique and, and interesting and a very good key value proposition for the tenants. Um, next topics, uh, property management is very interesting as well. Uh, it's a also recurring revenue. And once you control the demand side, then it's a big value add for 
if you manage a property, A, you can influence the revenue, right? And then you can help to reduce the costs. Other topics we're looking into is also, let's say a localized version of iBuying. I would say these are the topics over the next, I would say 10 years that we would address. I love that. And I think, you know, I always love businesses that have lots of different ways to monetize because I think it just gives you more shots on goal mm -hmm. and, and more ways to, to continue to build the business. Um, and maybe this is like a, just like a founder question, right? But, you know, when you think about all the possible things you could do, how do you prioritize them? Because I think that's a, you know, that's a founder challenge, right? Especially in the beginning, you're like, well, I could do A, I could do B, I could do C. You know, how do you think about evaluating opportunities, even like those that you enumerated? There's so many that sound that they could be standalone companies in and of themselves. And so what guidance might you give others on, on how you think through these? So... Generally, we look at, as mentioned before, the one we go first in where we believe there's least competition. So that's why we started in rentals and then build up from there. And then we look, what is the next basically business or adjacent business that can help our current customers? Right? Maybe, maybe be a, a unique value proposition. That's why insurance is very interesting. Insurance will not make us a lot of money. We might even take it as a cost, but it's a key value proposition for our current customer, potential tenants, and actually the owners. So we first look at enabling the current business. And only then we look into adjacent opportunities where we could make additional money. And actually even those I'm looking at, so, so some of the businesses that I mentioned, we could make more money, but I'm actually more inclined to look at them to enable our current business more because our current business has, on the sales side, enormously high commission levels. So we have commission between 3 to 10% and sometimes even more. And if you just get more of that cake, you win. So if I have an additional adjacent opportunity that helps me to get more of the 10% of the whole market, it helps me actually more than the trying to make money on adjacent opportunities. I love that. So basically, you know, you think about your core opportunity in this like fat three to 10%, and then all the adjacent stuff is a supporting actor to those. It's thinking about how do you accelerate your market share in that core focus? Correct, correct. So the biggest players in the market, they're, nobody's more than 1% of the whole market. So if I can just get 20% of the market, it's about a billion dollar in Thailand in commission alone, I get just 20% of the market, I have $200 million in revenue. That's already a billion dollar business. So it's like, that's actually the goal. Any other, rev, any other segment we're opening up shall actually help us to get um, to that 20% market share as fast as possible. So also when I talk of property management, it's recurring revenue. The whole market of property management is actually a very small market, but it enables my core business uh, because now these listings become more or less exclusive, maybe not fully exclusive, but more or less exclusive, which will enable my commission model. Makes sense. Why do you think the market is so fragmented? Why hasn't anyone been able to take more share to date? because there's almost no one in the market having like the technical, so software development skill set and the funding to do it. 
and the vision to build basically really a transactional platform, including all the players in the market, which means mainly the co-brokers and uh, to include them. Basically what Beike has done in, in China, Beike is, is currently has about, need to check about $15 billion in net revenue last year. And they grew at that size, they almost doubled in one year. So they're growing at scale. And this is the model that we're building, building here in Southeast Asia. And I haven't seen yet anyone going after that vision with sufficient money. Maybe the reason why nobody has done it so far, I get that asked a few times. And I believe they actually were, all of them were making so much money, the agents before, they were happy, right? <laughs> they were not looking at spending money on, on basically raising capital from someone else to invest into software development to build an even bigger platform because they're already already making a lot of money. That that is my my thinking there. Yeah, they're already happy, right? They don't they don't have a bigger dream, you're saying. Correct. Yeah. They were already making so much money. And there is a few tech companies, they're just an they were actually making money, so they reinvested it themselves. So they didn't need to raise. So And what do you think about some of the more regional players, right? Who who are in property but with different business models. So like Property Guru, which has more of a classifieds model, what's to stop them from being more transactional in nature? So that's actually an interesting question. Normally my, my co-founder Marco answers because he has been on that side before uh, with Scout24. So the basically Property Guru is a marketing platform where owners or agents can go and upload their inventory and they pay a marketing fee per month. We are a sales platform, basically. So we only get money for commission and we actually advertise ourselves on uh, DD property, Thailand property, et cetera, on those classifieds because they're also our marketing platform, but we are the sales platform. So that is actually the, the big difference. And what prevents them to come into our market? Well, they would need to build exactly the same. What they have is currently a marketing platform. So they would need to build the entire sales platform themselves. And so the difference is the business model. So as a classified portal, they enjoy very high margin. They enjoy about 75% gross profit and almost net profit margin. So, so very high. So for them, it's much easier to expand into other segments such as financing and also there have the classified model, right? Into insurance, but also have there the classified model. So for them, this is the, let's say the low hanging fruits and where they can still expand massively. So they, they don't have really have the interest to build a sales platform. And if they do, they need to just rebuild exactly what we're doing as well with all the technology, et cetera, to achieve the same they would more or less also start at zero to build an entire sales funnel and build technology to enable the sales. Or they could just buy you, right? That's the alternative. Are you listening, Steve? <laughs> Get your checkbook out. Um, no. Um, but yeah, I think maybe switching gears a little bit, you know, you talked about no one really had the technology and no one really raised the money to be able to go do it, to make these investments, to, to try to consolidate more of the market. And I think fundraising is a topic that is always top of mind for founders. And so maybe you can talk a little bit about 
how you approached the fundraising process, what was hard, what was strange about it, and kind of how you navigated your way through it, especially during COVID, which is, I think, you know, has been a challenging period for many people who are fundraising. So for the fundraising, it's a means to the end, right? The money we raise to basically invest into the business and to grow. So our approach was to raise from people that know from the industry. So we get additional expertise and raise as little and as fast as possible. So because especially at the beginning of, of a company, the valuations are not so high. So if you raise a lot of money, you dilute a lot. And it also takes longer time. Uh, so you better go out. So we, we took a lot of angel investment and many different venture capital firms in with relatively small tickets. But what that helps us is actually now we have a very broad investor base that all want us to succeed. So every month we can say, hey, this is what we're looking for. This is what we need help on. And every time we write that, we get a few investors reaching out to us and, and helping us. Super powerful. Right? Also, when every fundraising round, investors' goal is they at the beginning, they invest into many, many startups, and then they double down on the winter, winners. Right? So we had uh, a lot of angels and uh also, you, you guys also invested in the seed round, right? And now for the pre-series A, we didn't need to, we actually didn't reach out to external people. We just reached out to our seed investors and they invested again. And they reached and they introduced us to a few other external investors that invested as well. But we actually didn't do a full, full on uh, fundraising round because this was the fastest way to do it. We needed a little bit more cash to immediately invest into technology. And that's how we were able to raise very fast internally. So that's basically the strategy. Get money in from many different investors that can help you. And um, no need to one, one investor putting a very big ticket size. Just spread it out and raise it as fast as possible. Spend uh, the least amount of time on it to go back and, and uh, build the business. That's eventually what we need to do. Here. Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of people get hung up on. You know, I think people who are first time founders will say, oh, I'm waiting for a lead. And it drags out because when you're early, you don't have a lot of traction. And so there's not a lot of people willing to step up and write you a huge check right out of the gate. And it's often far easier to get a little bit of momentum by asking people for smaller checks and saying like, hey, here's my intention. Here's what I want to build. You and I used to work together at whatever place we used to work at together. You know me, I'm an honest person. I'm going to give it a shot. And you can kind of build momentum that way far quicker than um, trying to go around um, and pitching firms to write big checks. So I think All that's right. really smart what you guys did. Um, so something I actually really love to ask founders, especially people who've done it before, is um, what are the lessons you took from your first startup that you're applying to your current business? Because I think we always get really insightful answers. And I think it just really shows you how much learning you, you get just by doing. Um, mm -hmm. And so I'm kind of curious, you know, from your Hotel Quickly experience and now to Property Scout, you know, what are some things that you sort of took away that have changed how you approach this current business? Oh, 
Okay, that's a very difficult question to answer quickly because there are so many, right? So trying to think which one are the key ones. And doesn't need to be necessarily that we didn't do this at, at, at Hop2 Quickly or so, but maybe just general key learnings uh, from the experience, I would say, right? I would say, I think number one is finding the right founders, right? And the, the founders need to have a diversified skill set and, and experience. So we, we did actually have that before. Maybe we were not, we were all white guys, so not very diverse from that perspective. So this time we did that differently. So this time we have also uh, a female Thai founder. So very important to do for the real estate here in Thailand. So I think this is this is a, a very good learning for build a, a more diverse uh, founder team. So then some of the biggest learning, I think, when you build a, a, a startup is how you actually build a startup, right? How do you hire the right team members? How do you incentivize them correctly? How do you align everyone on the same vision and, and mission? How do you define KPIs that people are actually interested to to hit, right, and to execute on. So it's it's a lot about company building, I think, is the, the main learning, right? Because you as a founder, you stay in terms of functional skill set, you stay relatively high level. And you try to hire someone that knows the, the function very well. This actually brings me to one thing we actually really, I learned there that we didn't do well before is we, because we were five co-founders, right? So we had a, a lot of functional skills at ourselves, and we hired a lot of juniors under us, which spend a lot of, you spend a lot of management time explaining them how actually to do work. I'm trying now, we, we did that kind of also at the beginning with Property Scout because you can't afford the directors right away. But now we are with the latest funding, now we were able to hire directors and it's so smoother. So the, the best setup for me is founders, directors, and then just staff. And staff is actually get just smart, motivated people. My best hires are either directors that know the function very, very well, or people right out of school that are super smart and motivated. And if they work together, they can just execute. I have now, I had back in, in Hotel Quickly, I had a few that were top out of school, better at like, they were kind of driving many initiatives, like to full project management. And I have the same now at, at Property Scout. I have a few people right out of school they are super good. They they will add so much value. So I think that is a it's a good learning in terms of how to set up a company and its best founders, directors, and then staff. Yeah, I think that's a really key learning, and I think that is a really hard one to sort of intellectualize because when you're first doing it, you know, you're like, oh, I'm trying to extend runway, and mm. you're like, ah, oh, just who do I need? Who can I get in to help me do work? Right. And you're like, oh, this seems like it will be fine. And you've kind of like stemmed the bleeding basically. But then you realize that it's actually okay for you to delay hiring if you can find the right person. And then that person actually gives you way more leverage than sort of just trying to get junior people in the door to just start doing work. 
but it's, it's it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one, I think, because it's not easy. The other, yeah, the other extreme is people hire too senior too early, and then the senior person doesn't want to do any work. They want to have staff to do work, and that's also challenging from a stage perspective. Yes, but I have that actually that issue. I notice more and more are on management level. So you know, we have a, a manager that has five years of experience and now is managing and now believes they should only manage. Actually, that's more more of the problem. Now, I see directors, they actually execute themselves. I never had a problem with a director. They, they are motivated, they know the subject, they execute themselves. I see more the problem on, on management level, like as the first manager level. Yeah. No, those are really good lessons. I love that. Um, you know, if you had to think back to right before you left Switzerland to come to Thailand, what advice would you give to that young Mario? I mean, let's say for, for, for young people, look at your all your options that you have, right? Do some analysis, but don't overanalyze, right? Once you have a few options, quickly compare that, but then go for it. Right? I mean, you you just don't know. You also have to, you can only analyze to a certain degree because you don't know how the future will be. So sometimes you just have to go with the guts as well. So yes, you do have to analyze to a certain level, but then you just have to take gut feeling and and just go for it. Right? There was no way that I could back in Switzerland analyze what opportunity that is, like really, really in depth analyze it. It's just impossible. So basically just look at, is the idea or the market sound? Do you have the right people surrounding you? And that's it then go for it. The same way VCs invest, right? Does it make sense? Do we have the right people? Okay, let's invest. And 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 if, if you have the right people, they will figure it out. And, and the same is here. If you decide to go jump into your own entrepreneurial career and you compare a few opportunities, then yeah, do, do some analysis, but then don't believe you know the future, right? And maybe the flip side of that is what has been most surprising to you since, you know, you couldn't predict sitting in Switzerland before you came out, you couldn't really predict what was going to happen, but you made the decision anyway. What has surprised you the most in, in this journey? Well, maybe how much uh, how much fun it actually is to uh, build a business, right? I mean, I was back then in Switzerland doing private equity, going the normal career, I didn't really know whether this is you know, really the thing that I, I love to do, right? but I just took a jump and, and let's see, I can always go back, no issue, right? But I, I really enjoyed it and continue doing it. And maybe the big surprise I really enjoy, I enjoyed so much that, uh, you know, maybe the back in Switzerland, you, you have you have a thought, yeah, okay, I, I go, I do one startup, I make money and then I, I retire. But now I know I, I will never retire, right? because it's so much fun to build build one company after the other. So for me now is whatever exit I make is just the seed money for, na- for the next thing until death. That's it. Yeah. You're addicted so that, now. That, that's maybe the surprise. Yeah, that's the biggest surprise. That's a good one. Well, thank you so much, Mario, for joining us today. Uh, it's been really fun to get to learn more about your journey, hear about all the exciting things you're building at Property Scout. And if... Uh, I bet if people are looking for jobs, you are hiring, right? 
what are some constantly. open roles that you've got or what where should people go to find out more about you and Property Scout? Just go to the website or write to info at propertyscout.co.th or talent at, we'll, we'll take it up, just write somewhere. Um, Perfect. Yes, we are hiring across the board from property consultants, so sales to software development, um, very important. And so we want to grow fast in our software development team and across the board else as well. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Founders Jam. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to subscribe and leave a review. Building something new? Tell us about it on hustlefund.vc. Thanks for listening. Chat soon.